Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. With that pledge to fight, President Joe Biden launched his 2024 re-election bid in a video released on Tuesday. And by Biden standards, it's pretty dramatic. We're talking images of the Capitol on January 6th, grainy protest footage, and a score that sounds like it belongs in a Marvel movie. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms, cutting Social Security. Four years ago to the day, Biden announced his run for the presidency to pretty wild fanfare in Philadelphia. But in 2023, things are a lot different. Biden is the sitting president, which means Americans are looking to him to help solve some of the problems they're dealing with today. And then there's the big issue facing Biden. Voters, even those who supported him, just aren't excited by him. Like Michael Bennett in Michigan. I think Papa Joe's a little old to be running for president again. I hope he doesn't run, but if he do run, he can get my vote. But I think it's time to step aside and let the young, let somebody else take over. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm your guest host, Chris Velasco. It's Tuesday, April 25th. Today, we're talking to White House reporter Tyler Pager. We're looking at whether Americans are willing to send Joe Biden back to the White House and the path he'll have to take to get there. So, Tyler, this morning, Joe Biden announced his re-election bid to be president, which has kind of felt like it's been a long time coming, but... Was it always a given that Biden would run for president again? Depends who you ask. If you ask Joe Biden, he would say yes. If you ask some people around him, that question was up in the air, honestly, until the midterm elections where Democrats outperformed expectations uh, by a lot. What were some of the things Biden and his advisors were weighing as they were trying to make a final decision here? Yeah, I think they felt no pressure for him to officially jump in the race. He had been telegraphing for months that he had planned and intended to run for re-election. But at the same time, they wanted to put aside some of the anxieties and concerns we've seen throughout the Democratic Party, activists, lawmakers, even diplomats abroad who doubted an 80-year-old would really launch another bid for president. Um, and they also wanted to start raising money. Presidential campaigns in the modern era are incredibly expensive. And the earlier you get in, the earlier you can start raising money. So apologies for the basic question, but are there any changes to the ticket? Are we still looking at Kamala Harris as potentially the vice president in 2024? Correct. The ticket has not changed. And it's interesting in the announcement video, there was a lot of imagery of Kamala Harris as vice president now, making it clear that she's an integral part of the ticket. And I think there's going to be a lot more attention and scrutiny on her given Joe Biden's age. So as it stands right now, we're still over a year away from the 2024 general election, but we've now started to get a pretty fine sense of how voters are feeling about Biden's presidency right now. What are the sentiments you're seeing and how do you see that kind of affecting his chances as we get closer to Election Day? When you look back to the summer of 2021, it has improved dramatically since then. 
Remember that summer, the U.S. withdrew troops from Afghanistan, and we saw that chaotic withdrawal and the deadly outcomes of that decision? You set a deadline, you pulled troops out, you sent troops back in, and now 12 Marines are dead. You said the buck stops with you. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks? I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened. And the stagnation of his legislation and rising inflation, all of those factors contributed to some of the lowest approval ratings of Joe Biden's term. I hear all the folks on TV saying, why doesn't Biden get this done? Well, because Biden only has a majority of effectively four votes in the House and a tie in the Senate with two members of the Senate who vote more with my Republican friends. Over the last year, we've seen that start to improve. He's still uh, underwater in the sense that when you look at the overall approval rating, he's still below 50% in how many Americans approve of the job he's doing. In our very polarized country, it's very rare in these times to have a president get more than 50% approval rating, but it still signifies there's a broad swath of the country that disapproves of the job he's been doing as president. But his advisors are optimistic that that number will continue to improve as he faces a more clear challenger in the Republicans. Can we dig into that 50 percent a bit? What is it about Biden or his time in office that kind of has voters feeling a little underwhelmed? Yeah. So in the deeply polarized country that we live in, there's always going to be a subset of voters that are not going to support the president, whether it's a Democratic voter and a Republican president or vice versa, that is a reality that politicians across the board need to reckon with. For Biden, I think the focus is trying to get those independent voters or those moderate Republicans who may have been repelled by Trump to get over onto his side. And so a lot of the focus for some of these voters is the economy. Now, the economy um, has had a topsy-turvy recovery from the throes of the pandemic. There is some optimism that we as a country are moving out of that, but there are still some looming fears about a recession. And so that's something that the president and his team are hyper-focused on, trying to ensure that economic growth continues and is spread out to all people in the economy. Um, But then there's, you know, a whole host of other issues that Democrats feel um, optimistic about in terms of winning over and broadening their coalition. Chief among them is abortion. We saw that issue play a prominent role in the 2022 midterms, where Democrats did better than expected after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We'll see even more attention paid to that issue, particularly from Vice President Harris, who has made that a centerpiece of her agenda, um, fighting for abortion rights and fighting against efforts to restrict them. What's your sense of how these broader issues sort of balance out, if at all, the kind of personal issues that people kind of look at Biden and see? You know, age is a constant question. Some people will say, you know, he's not a particularly charismatic person. You know, how do these how do these factors kind of all play into each other? It's a great question. And I think it's worth digging into. And our colleagues here at The Washington Post just spent many weeks interviewing voters around the country trying to dig into that exact phenomenon. When you look at polling, you see that many Democrats are not excited about Biden running for a second term. And that is a warning sign for Joe Biden. But if you look deeper at the poll and you dig into some of the interviews our colleagues did with voters around the country in swing states, is that ultimately they're resigned to supporting him. They feel that he's older, they could use 
a new leader, someone of a younger generation, but they also feel confident that he might be the best Democrat to win re-election, particularly against Donald Trump, who he's already defeated. And so I think there's a nuanced look at how voters interact with Biden. They, you know, a lot of Democrats like the things that he's accomplished from a policy perspective. They like how he's restored alliances on foreign policy, his work, um, uh, you know, supporting Ukraine against Russian aggression. But they're also concerned. He's 80 years old. He's already the oldest president in American history. And if he's reelected, he would be 86 at the end of his second term. So I think there's a lot to dig in there about how voters are trying to rationalize you know, their their concerns about his age, but also their fears about electability. That was a big topic in 2020 when there was an open Democratic primary was who is the best candidate to defeat Donald Trump? Democrats ultimately rallied behind Joe Biden, and he was successful in doing so. And many Democrats feel similarly as we head into 2024. Donald Trump is the front runner for the Republican nomination. And as we get closer, and, and he looks to, you know, continue to expand his lead in, in, in that race, they feel most comfortable with Joe Biden running against him. I'm glad you brought up Donald Trump because here is a person for whom enthusiasm is is never really an issue, right? Like that dedication kind of feels still a little lacking from the Democratic audience when it comes to Biden. What do the folks at the White House think about this kind of lack of enthusiasm and how are they going to try and fix it? So when you talk to people in the White House, they might argue that, you know, Joe Biden is not going to get the thousands and thousands of people out to a rally that we see Donald Trump do on a regular basis in states all around the country. But then they point to the 2020 election results and show that Joe Biden did win that election. And so they don't always measure enthusiasm in the same way um, that the Republicans do. Now, I I do think that there's some validity there, that there are more diehard Donald Trump supporters than there are diehard Joe Biden supporters. But their argument, the White House and, and Biden's political aides, is you know, we don't need people to show up to a rally. We need people to show up to the ballot box and vote for Joe Biden. And they still feel confident that even if Joe Biden is not, you know, most voters' first choice or most Democratic voters' first choice, when you talk to voters, they ultimately find themselves in a position where all they want is to ensure that Donald Trump is not reelected. And as they try to rationalize which other candidates could defeat Donald Trump, they ultimately fall back on Joe Biden. And let's hear from a voter in Pennsylvania. Her name is Sarah Johnson. No, it wouldn't be an excitement. I think that uh, he's he's a solid choice and I'm happy to vote for him, but he would not be my first or second Democrat um, that I would prefer to be voting for. Who would be your first or second? Elizabeth Warren. Uh, She'll probably always be my first. And that is a pervasive trend we see in polling. And it's also one that, you know, as we mentioned in this Washington Post project of Biden voters around the country that we find there too. Now that the campaign has officially started once again, what kind of things can we expect Biden to go out there and talk up about his time in office? You know, what is the White House considered to be some of the hallmarks of its presidency and and things that they hope people will kind of latch onto as they approach the ballot boxes in a year from now? Yeah, so I don't think we're expecting to see much change to the president's schedule over the next few weeks. One of the benefits of being the sitting president is that every day you get to be president. And when you talk to Democratic strategists, they argue that that's one of the best things for Joe Biden to do is every day be president, make decisions, and try to improve Americans' lives. Now, as we move closer to the election, he will be doing campaigning, but he's sort of been doing a model of campaigning over the last several months. 
Since they passed some of their landmark legislation, the infrastructure law investing billions of dollars around the country in roads and bridges and other infrastructure-related projects, or the Inflation Reduction Act, which aims to you know, fight climate change, lower health care prices, or the CHIPS Act, the Chips and Science Act, which is trying to invest in the nation's semiconductor industry. Joe Biden and other top surrogates have been traveling around the country touting the benefits of these pieces of legislation to the communities that they will ultimately serve. You know, I was just on the road with Joe Biden in North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, Joe Biden. These were before he announced he was running for president. These were official White House events, but they look very much like a campaign event. He's standing in front of um, a construction site or in a semiconductor facility talking about the benefits of the legislation he signed into law and how they will benefit the community he's in. We passed the American Rescue Plan right after I was elected, the most aggressive economic recovery package since Franklin Roosevelt. We passed the bipartisan infrastructure law the most substantial investment since President Eisenhower's investment in, in, in infrastructure, roads, bridges, ports, airports, clean water, high-speed internet. And we passed the chip. And so and while there are still official White House events, they, they serve the backbone of what his campaign message is going to be, that we've passed all this legislation, now give us time to implement the legislation so you can see the benefits and let us continue to build on that work. I mean, that seems like a pretty straightforward argument. So, Tyler, can you help us unpack what it is that Democrats feel that they're not getting out of this presidency? Yeah, I think it depends on which Democrat you're talking to. If you talk to some younger voters, some more progressive voters. Chris, I want to have you listen to one voter that my colleague Dylan Wells interviewed in Wisconsin. Her name is Chandra Chohan. I think people are restless to see a new face. Um, I think amongst youth that I've talked to, people my age, um, people are tired of seeing old white men being presidents, myself included. Um, I will they would argue that Joe Biden has not gone far enough, that they want more action on climate change, more action on gun control, more action to tackle some of the economic inequality issues that they're seeing. If you talk to moderate voters or more conservative Democrats, they argue that Joe Biden has moved too far to the left. You see both sides of this, uh, uh, the party have concerns. Uh, you know, Senator Joe Manchin, who was the lead uh, sponsor of this Inflation Reduction Act, is already coming out critical of the president's implementation of the bill. This administration does not honor what it said it would do and basically continue to liberalize that where 380 threatening to vote to overturn the bill he was the biggest champion of because he's not happy with how Joe Biden and his administration are implementing some of the energy policies. I will do everything I can in my power to prevent that from happening and if they don't change then I would vote to repeal my own bill. There's a whole host of issues Democrats are willing and happy to complain about. Um, ultimately, Joe Biden is trying to appease a, a, a diverse and big tent party, and we'll see how successful he is. Speaking of people who do want to take up the baton, I mean, there are at least two challengers right now, Marianne Williamson and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Tyler, can you tell us a bit more about these people and why they're challenging Joe Biden? So you're right. Joe Biden does already have two declared challengers for the Democratic nomination. Marianne Williamson, an author and activist who ran for president in 2020, got a lot of attention in that campaign for her 
focus on loving other people and and spirituality. She has launched a bid uh, to the left of Joe Biden, calling for universal health care and some more policies um, that Bernie Sanders advocated uh, during his presidential runs. And then there's Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who has garnered a lot of attention for his comments about vaccines, raising skepticism about their efficacy. He's also criticized Biden for supporting Ukraine in their war against Russia. Those are two candidates that are going to get some attention on the fringes of the party. But the Democratic National Committee is not planning any debates, so it's very unlikely we will see any of those candidates in the same room or or space as Joe Biden. Um, They're going to raise some money, they're going to get attention, but ultimately the Democratic Party and Joe Biden's campaign are not overly concerned about their bids. After the break, the Republicans. I talk with Tyler about how the Biden camp might fare against the Republican field. We'll be right back. So let's talk about Biden on the campaign trail. You know, when you look at the Republican primary field right now, Tyler, who seems to be leading the pack and what's your sense of how Biden would stack up against them? So Donald Trump is the clear frontrunner for the Republican nomination, but he does face challenges from a whole host of other prominent Republican candidates. Chief among them is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is widely expected to declare his bid for presidency in the coming weeks and months. Other candidates running for president, uh, Nikki Haley, who was Trump's um, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Tim Scott, a senator from South Carolina, has said he's exploring a bid for president. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is also running. Former Vice President Mike Pence is also planning to possibly run for president. So there's a whole host of Republicans here challenging Donald Trump. But so far, it's become clear that no candidate has been able to really cut into Trump's base. Trump has an ironclad grasp on much of the Republican Party and its voters and leaders, and whether another candidate is able to break into that lead remains to be seen. Now, when you look at Joe Biden, most Democrats feel good about Joe Biden's chances against Donald Trump. They argue he's already beaten him. Donald Trump faces sprawling legal problems in New York, in Washington, in Georgia. Many of those investigations are still ongoing. And they don't feel that Trump has expanded his base. He's kept much of his base, but he lost some of it around abortion, around January 6th, and they haven't seen him make inroads. Now, other candidates, I think there is some Democratic anxiety about Biden's ability to stack up against them. And chief among those concerns is the age factor. Biden at 80 is much older than many of those other candidates, and there are some concerns about his ability to run a vigorous campaign against a younger opponent, in large part because, as you'll remember in 2020, much of the campaign he ran from his house in Wilmington, Delaware. We were all in our homes during the coronavirus pandemic, and Biden didn't have to campaign as vigorously as he will in 2024. And so that is a concern that Democrats have about how he'll be able to do against a candidate not named Donald Trump. So as we consider the Republican opposition heading into this campaign, you know, has the messaging so far been fairly uniform or are we seeing kind of different arguments against a second term of a Biden presidency emerge? Yeah, I think there's a lot of the usual 
targets from Republicans that we see on the economy, on immigration, on foreign policy, on abortion, which is an issue really splitting the Republican Party about how far to restrict abortion. Many governors have signed six-week abortion bans. Others have urged a little bit more uh, leniency on the issue. That's something that the Republican Party is trying to figure out, something Democrats are eager to take advantage of, feeling that voters are with them, that they should not have as uh, restrictive laws when it comes to abortion. We saw Democrats use that issue successfully in the 2022 midterms. But, you know, a lot of the, the arguments in the Republican Party right now are over how to differentiate yourself from Donald Trump. And Republicans are clearly struggling to figure that out. So for now, at least, it seems like there's a decent chance, at least, that Donald Trump will wind up being the Republican nominee for 2024 again. But let's say that doesn't happen. If Biden now has to face up against a DeSantis or a Nikki Haley, does the argument that he relied on so frequently in the last campaign, the argument that, hey, I'm not that guy at the very least, does that still have weight? So what we've been seeing from the broader Democratic Party is trying to paint all the Republican candidates in the mold of Donald Trump. They are trying to tie them to Donald Trump so that Biden, if he faces a candidate not named Donald Trump in the general election, he can use that same argument. Now, whether or not that argument works for voters, I think remains to be seen. But as you see, Biden and other Democrats have been referring to many Republicans as ultra MAGA or super MAGA, adopting that make America great again phrase that Donald Trump used during his campaigns and lumping in other Republicans with him. So it'll be a more challenging proposition for Joe Biden to run against another candidate that he has not and the country has not defined as much as Donald Trump. But you've seen the groundwork being laid for the Democratic Party to label any of these candidates in a similar way because they find that to be a successful electoral strategy. Yeah, I mean, we're still very much in that groundwork phase. So I'm curious, you know, from the perspective of Biden's aides, from, from insiders, is there a potential Republican candidate that feels like a worst case scenario? Like, is there one person that they're especially not thrilled about Biden's chances against? I think a more moderate Republican, somebody like Governor Sununu in New Hampshire, who is toying with the idea of a presidential bid, someone like Asa Hutchinson, uh, the, the former governor of Arkansas. Those are, are more moderate Republicans who have created some distance with Trump, uh, Sununu, in particular, has really criticized Trump explicitly. Um, those are candidates that Democrats, I think, would be more worried about because they could cut in to some of the ind independent votes, some of the more moderate Democrats. But the, the, the flip side of that is they are polling at 1% or, or less than 1% or not even registering in polls. So at this point, Democrats are not all too worried about them being able to secure the Republican nomination. If things change... That, that, that I think will create more Democratic anxiety. But right now, Democrats are preparing to face someone more like Donald Trump in the general election. As you mentioned earlier, this is now the fourth presidential election that Biden and some of his closest allies are now going through. How do you think that experience is going to inform this campaign as it unfolds? And, and I guess just broadly, do you think Biden should be feeling optimistic right now? Yeah, you know, he's with people he's deeply comfortable with. They continue to surround him inside and outside the White House. And they, 
you know, have a very clear idea of what his message is and what his policy is. Now, a campaign, a presidential campaign is always unpredictable. It's always grueling. And just because you've done it before doesn't make it any easier. And I think this is going to be unlike any that he has run before. It's going to be more divisive. It's going to be more grueling, just given the nature that in 2020, when he was the Democratic nominee, he ran a much different campaign because of the limitations posed by the pandemic. And it seems each campaign gets more expensive. You have to raise more money. And just the nature of American politics has become more divisive. And so as the president gears up for this campaign, he has a lot of the benefits of being an incumbent. He gets to fly around the country on Air Force One, and he gets to do the job of president every day, trying to show and prove to the American people he's doing a good job and should continue to do that job. But campaigns are just so unpredictable. It's hard to feel too optimistic more than a year away from Election Day. Tyler, thanks for unpacking this with me today. Thanks for having me. Tyler Pager is a White House reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. Thanks to Naftali Ben-David and to the journalists who contributed reporting from around the country to this episode, including Meryl Cornfield, Colby Itkowitz, Dylan Wells, and Cleve Woodson. If you want to show your appreciation for Post Reports, we'd love to hear your feedback. And please consider subscribing to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work we do, and you get access to all of our incisive political reporting as we head into 2024. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe to learn more. I'm Chris Velasco. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.